If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Great to be back with you all. It is April. It is Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. So it's a great time for us to really be thinking about ourselves, self-care, and how we can continue to be a voice in our culture um, concerning the things that we have gone through and just our own healing process and being a safe place for others and especially other survivors to find safety and to be able to share their story. So we're just so grateful for this platform to be able to share the stories of others with you and to walk this journey together towards healing and um, just community and what that looks like. And so I'm really pumped today to have um, a special guest with us, Kate Boyd from Texas, um, sharing just her heart and her own story and her journey and her faith. And um, Kate, first of all, welcome. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I actually, I really love, and the reason we connected even earlier over Twitter was because I loved something that you said, it was probably about a month or so ago on Twitter about the untangling of our faith. And you had mentioned how your deconstruction, which is a big word right now, but it was more of a realization that your version of Jesus was tangled up with so much culture. So your deconstruction was an untangling. And I love the way that you kind of said that. And I want to get to that actually later in our conversation. But first, I did want to say I really love your heart for community. Um, I think your heart for community really mirrors my own in some ways. Um, And I wanted to begin there because as it is right now, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, we have many events, you know, I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements right now. We're having tons of conversations as survivors and leaders, um, just shedding light on what we as survivors of abuse have gone through. And it's all, you know, important to ending sexual violence and it aids in our healing you know, as our culture continues to talk about it in ways we never used to. Um, But our healing doesn't happen just because we're talking about it. Healing happens when communities wrap their hearts around survivors with empathy, um, creating safe spaces for us to be heard, to heal. So I wanted to really start there, basically from the bottom, like, what is community and what does healthy community look like? You know, how does it feel? What does it look like to people maybe even on the outside? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think first of all, it's important to acknowledge that we're designed for community. You know, when God saw Adam in the garden, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. That means that we are made for to be, and I don't think that's just a marriage thing. I think that's a human thing, an element of humanity that we're not meant to be alone. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to ground it in the idea that community is important and it's how we care for each other. And even if you look at 
um, the new Testament and how the church is characterized, like, um, or even now I'm reading a lot of, um, early church stuff. And we've just gone through a bunch about Augustine from Augustine who talks constantly about, you know, the idea of the church as the body, um, with Christ as the head and, and being, you know, united in that. And so how much we need each other just to actually function. And so I like to think of, um, something I was talking with someone the other day and I was like, you know, most of the time our needs, we sort of have been conditioned to think like it's that bootstrap mentality. I think like we are supposed to fix everything ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, but the way, or, you know, God will come in and provide some miraculous thing that'll fix us, whether that's healing or financial provision or whatever. And often the way he meets those needs is through community. So community is the miracle that we need. And it's the miracle we've been designed to receive and to give to people. And so I think it's really important that, um, we do that. And so healthy community to me sort of in has two key characteristics, which I call intimacy and integrity, right? There's a depth there of the trust and the friendship and the reliance. Mm -hmm. Um, and that sort of like support network that you can create with community. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the integrity piece, you know, what that's like right relationship with God, that's right relationship with each other. That's right relationship with you and the world and how you live. And Mm -hmm. so I think when those things align, um, you know, you're able to have a fuller and, um, healthier version of community than, than what we normally think of as community, especially when it comes to Christianity. I feel like we've kind of zeroed it into some very specific things and, um, I'm not sure that that's how it's supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I even wonder what you think about, you know, what we've learned even about community during a pandemic, you know, it's clearly had to look different. Um, So what, what do you hope that we would take with us, you know, out of these days of COVID or what do you hope we would leave behind even when it comes to cultivating community? I, um, I think, I hope that we remember this longing for each other. Mm. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, because when you're around people all the time, it can be easy and I'm an introvert, so I'm not mm-hmm. people you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, so people in, yeah, in a lot of ways, <laughs> this has been like, great. There's like no pressure to go right. places or to do things. And <laughs> yeah. like in a month or so, I'm going to have to start showing up to stuff again. Mm-hmm. And so, um, there's a lot of mixed feelings for me, but I think it is important. Like I was just sitting the other day and, you know, I was talking on Twitter with some people, um, or even I've got a group text with some girlfriends from my church and I'm like, gosh, I cannot wait until we can just actually be in the same room. Like, yeah, I know we talk all the time. It feels like, but even mm. just sort of like sitting and thinking about sitting like with them next to me or at a table and even not talking about anything, mm-hmm. like I really sort of felt, um, something missing from that. And I think the other thing is like community church is meant to be embodied. Mm-hmm. Um, digital is, is great. And it facilitates a lot of connections, but um, you know, the church and community is supposed to be a part of the neighborhoods and the communities that are around it. Like that's one of its main functions mm. is, is to minister to the outside as much as to the inside. Right. Um, and so there is a level of us needing to be in it. And, mm. I, and I hope that's something that we take, that we look at the ways that we've been doing that, or maybe only 
focusing internally and turn that Mm -hmm. a little bit more external. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think we also just need to recognize the flexibility that we have in everything. I think for us, when we think about Christian community, we think about the church gathering or we think about, you know, an accountability group or a small group, and it has to look like this and we have to do these certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are even sort of separate. But to me, I actually Mm -hmm. think your small group is probably a, a more complete expression of church mm-hmm. than the big worship gathering is because that's just one piece of what church is. Right. Um, when church is, you know, not just worship, that's a part of it. It's taking mm-hmm. care of each other. It's um, taking care of the community and it's forming each other spiritually um, in so many different ways. And so when we start to take ownership of that and realize that we can do that flexibly and we start empowering people to do that within our bodies, um, you know, and we've also seen so many people burning out, like lots of ministry professionals, just like, I'm so tired. There's so many things. And now it's not all in this one place. I was tired Mm. before, but now I've got people who disagree about so many different things. And Um, you know, I can't be with them all or they're not coming to me. I'm, we're having to figure all this out. And it's like, you know, I don't, I think the ministry belongs to all of us, to all Mm -hmm. believers. And we're all gifted in some way to meet the other needs of people. And so I hope that we, we take that and say, you know what, the invitation of COVID has not just been, you know, take care of other people or stay away from other people. It has been, let's live out a different expression of church and community and, um, and the fact that we can do it in lots of different ways and that it is just as valid an expression of church and community as any other, um, and, and move that forward so that we can have that depth, um, that intimacy and integrity as we push through the new phases. So I hope that we don't just like jump right back to normal rhythm um, or what we perceive as normal rhythm just because it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that we take the invitation to go deeper that this has given us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even just through the pandemic, a lot of things have been revealed as you sort of touched on and, and it's helped us to kind of like open our eyes to a lot of toxic things in our communities. And, um, and if we're talking about the church and Christian culture, I'd really love to hear what you'd have to say about that culture that says you have to show up as the most polished version of yourself, that like toxic positivity. Um, I think a lot of trauma survivors face that kind of thing in the church and in faith communities, or even just, I mean, my own family just being raised in conservative Christianity. Um, With my story, people felt a lot more comfortable when I could show up feeling like I had healed. (laughs) And I don't think any of us will ever be healed. I don't have any responsibility. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Or to be able to say that, you know, I forgave my abuser or something like that, you know? So if any of this plays into the authentic community that you're talking about, to me, it's a red flag to any kind of community when you can't be authentically who you are. You know, we, mm-hmm. we see it though and experience it more often than not, I think though, in the church. And that has always been a problem for me. Um, and I know even you, Kate had mentioned, um, 
and some other places I, I knew that you had mentioned your anxiety. Um, some people sometimes had suggested to you that your anxiety was like a demon that could be prayed away. And oh, that gets me. Yeah. Someone literally DM'd that to me on Instagram recently. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> and I'm I think sorry. that's hard. That's it, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, I hate to say that you get used to it when you're sort of like a person in public, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> and, and so I, I hope to an extent that this doesn't, you know, become too normalized, but at least it rolls off my back a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> easier than it yeah. had before. No, I think um, it's good. Because I don't, I think, so the first thing is I don't know that person. That person doesn't know me. So yeah. I, I don't trust their advice or their assessment of me because they don't actually know who I am. Absolutely. Um, they watched an eight second reel on Instagram and decided <laughs> that they knew exactly what I needed to do with yeah. my life. So I think that's important to keep in mind is like context of where these things are coming from. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't love the toxic positivity thing. I, mm-hmm. because um, it, it makes it feel like if we're not in that place, then there's something wrong with us yeah, and not something that happened to us or something that we're processing or something that's actually just very human. Like we're just yeah. going to be experiencing sickness. We're going to experience challenges, you know, mm-hmm. mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, like this is all part of what it is to be a human being in a fallen world. It's right. just what it's like. Yeah. And yeah. so when we sort of paint over that or think that, um, you know, because we're Christians, we should be better already. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's just, there's just no evidence like that that's supposed to be like, that's how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the apostle Paul suffered, you know, his thorn in his side. We don't know if that was physical or mental or spirit. Like there was something there, but that sure. doesn't mean anybody takes anything that he says less seriously. Mm. But I do think part of it is it's a cultural thing that we've been conditioned to. And I think too, that if we start talking about our problems, we, um, we, it means that maybe all of us have to start at looking at our own issues and mm-hmm. diving mm-hmm. into that. So in some ways, I think it's sort of like a, a defense mechanism within us to just be like, mm, but I don't, because if we go there with you, then I might find out something about me and that's yeah. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think you could say that about a lot of issues mm-hmm. <laughs> in the church right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, like, I think, I do think that in most cases, I'm not going to say in all cases, because there are abusive and narcissistic things that, mm-hmm. that pervade, but I think in most cases it comes from a good place. Like people want you to be better, but they don't know what they can do about it. And so if they can't fix it and you can't fix it, then who can fix it? Right. And they don't know because maybe they haven't been through it. And so it just sort of yeah. becomes this like extra weird, like it just, they don't know what to do. So the platitude is what they reach for because it's what someone reached for when they had a a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in authentic Christian community, and I'll, I'll give you like one, one story and two um, parallel happenings. So when I first, um, first in my adulthood that I recognized, which was probably, I don't know, five or six years ago, that I was in a really severe depression swing um, to the point that like I had an ulcer, i had had a rash that like took over my back and my arms. Like it was physically manifesting itself in my body. Cause I was so um, challenged with this. And, and then I was like anxious that I was 
in this like spiral. Cause I'm like, well, what does that mean? And all these things. And I happened to have two different communities, um, you know, that I was operating in. I had my church small group. And at the time I was working, um, <clears throat> at a Christian organization and had a really tight group of people there that we had had some, some big experiences together. So we were really tight in a Christian community. And in one of them, I said, you know, guys, I feel like I'm really suffering from some anxiety and depression and could use some. And that was like my prayer request time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, everyone just kind of stared like they didn't know what to do with it. Um, and then in the other group, I said the same thing, you know, within a few days of each other, it was like the same week. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, wow, how can we pray for you right now? And they all came around and like put their hands on me and prayed for me um, and checked in on me and like all these different things. And so I think it's, so while prayer doesn't always fix it right away, it's part of the process. And it's also maybe a a part of the discernment process to figure out what help you need and to start reaching out for that or to even being able to make yourself available for other people to say, Hey, are you looking for help with this? Mm -hmm. This has worked, you know, there's, you know, here's a therapist recommendation Mm -hmm. or, you know, I've tried this medicine. Maybe you should talk to your doctor or psychiatrist about it. So there's lots of different ways to do it. And there's just something about, we just sort of like, feel like if it can't be, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, community is the miracle we need. Like we need Mm. people to be each other and to be the community for us because, you know, if we feel like we can't talk about it, then we're stuck. And Mm -hmm. if we feel like we can't, you know, but if we can talk about it and be ourselves, then that opens us up to receive the help that we need as well as to give it away whenever somebody else goes through the same thing later. That's right. Yeah. I think for probably most of our listeners, you know, the trauma that occurred for each of us occurred in relationship or even in what was supposed to be community for us. So I think our deepest healing truly can occur in community too. Totally. Um, So I wonder, you know, you kind of, you kind of answered this in a way with, you know, your personal stories, but like, do you see that too, as far as like community and healing are really converging, they're really intersecting, you know, that they support each other. Do you see that as one is needed for the other? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think there's very many things as human beings that we can do on our own. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it, it does require, if not assistance, um, companionship and accompaniment, you know, Mm -hmm. like we, so I, I think that most healing, like, even if you would consider going to a psychiatrist and, you know, a therapist, a counselor, mm-hmm. like that's kind of a community act. You are with another person and you got, and you're being taken care of. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. so even that's not in isolation, you're not going through any of it by yourself mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, yeah. you know, if you go to the hospital to be healed by a doctor and nurses, like that's a community of people taking care of you. Mm-hmm. So even in the ways that we think of healing in isolation, it's actually healing in, in community. And so yeah. I think we, um, you know, and I also understand that sometimes there are communities that don't feel safe, you know? Right. And so it's a matter of finding the places where you do feel safe mm-hmm. or allowing yourself to open up a little at a time to sort mm-hmm. of test those boundaries 
which is totally fair and something that I have to do a lot, <laughs> or at least at this point, um, because I don't have any super significant trauma, I can be like, this is who I am and it's all this. And if people, you know, can't take it, then I'm like, cool, this isn't my space, you know, or, yeah. or what I also find is it allows other people to be that, you know, if that's what they need. Um, so if I lead with vulnerability, so other people, mm. but I also understand that's not the case for everyone's, um, traumatic issues and that's not the case for everyone. And so really being able to test that and go slow or even start with one or two people that you still trust Mm -hmm. and starting there, like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people right now that are leaving church, you know, arenas because there's significant hurt and trauma there. And I get it. Um, but I also think we're supposed to be in Christian community in, in a church environment. Um, but church can be you and a handful of people that you trust and you guys Mm -hmm. can still worship and you can still pray and you can still study God's word and you can still do all the things that church is, um, without the trappings of what we think church is. Mm -hmm. And so if that's what you need, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, that's how a lot of believers around the world worship right now, because there's only two or three people that are safe for them. Right. Um, and so, we can't sort of overlay what we're used to on a global scale and therefore it can't be normative or universal, you know? So we have to be able to think outside the box so that we can actually have those environments that promote our healing. I just wanted to pause for a second because it is sexual abuse awareness and prevention month. And to me, it's no greater time than now, really, to think about as a survivor of abuse, to think about our own healing journey. And, you know, we can do a lot of healing on our own or one-on-one in therapy, but there's just something special about meeting with other survivors. And Mary, you and I just finished an eight-week course with a handful of survivors in our new e-course and virtual support group called Unleash. And don't you think it was like more than we ever expected? My goodness. I mean, just in awe of the response from all of the participants. And, you know, we're not going to shy away from the fact that this is a really big decision. This is really hard in the midst of just regular hearts, life stuff. And then making a bigger decision to go after your healing journey is not easy, but from the responses we've received and just the comments we've heard, the hard decision is well worth it. Absolutely. I think it's just, you know, people finding that safe space to come back to every week where you can kind of let down all the expectations and all the things that you feel like you're supposed to be living up to and just be yourself and talk about the hard things with a group of other survivors who just really get it. So it's called Unleashed. It's an eight-week survivor-created e-course. There's film, storytelling, personal contemplation exercises, journal prompts. And then we meet virtually every week for eight weeks in this really special small group support group, just to walk through this journey of healing from sexual abuse together. If you want to sign up, go ahead. It's at IamOneVoice.org. IamOneVoice.org. And we constantly have new groups starting. So keep checking back. There's groups for women. There's groups for men. There's morning groups, evening groups, weekday groups, weekend groups. We've got it all. So just go there and check it out. There's always going to be an option for an eight-week course for you to sign up and join. They max out at eight participants each. And I just think you're going to love it. And 
even just this last time, we've had two survivors from the first round sign up for another round. So I think it's just something that you can even come back to at different places in your journey, no matter where you're at. It's called Unleash. It has officially launched. Do not miss it. We want to see you there. Find out more. Sign up. I am onevoice.org. Go to I am onevoice.org. I've been a member of a mega church for almost the majority of my church going life. But at the same time, as great as that's been in many ways, some of the best church in my life has occurred when a couple girls have been in my living room. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. that's where some real church happens. That's the community that we long for. Um, especially when you're afraid to show up as your whole self, cause you've been, you've had church hurt. Um, but I also, I loved backing up what you had said about, um, you know, even, even going to a therapist is creating community. Like a lot of times I think we think of community as something that comes to us, but I like what you're saying. Cause it kind of shows, you know, self-advocating is part of finding your community. And it also reminded me of something that Glennon Doyle has said, where she said, you know, um, you're going to be too much for some people and those aren't your people. And you're saying, try again, you know, find your safe places, see who you can trust. If you don't feel like this is a great fit, you can't be yourself. You don't feel loved. You don't feel empathy, all of those things like try again. There's more community out there for you, um, but we have to have the courage to step yeah. out and look for it. Yeah. And I do want to draw a distinction between like preference and need, right? Like there is a certain extent to which I think we've sort of made church communities sort of like a preference based on what I want to consume and how I want to consume it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we have to be careful there, but if your, you know, basic human needs aren't being met um, within your community, I think that's a wildly different thing. Like your spiritual needs aren't being met. So I do want to draw the distinction. I don't think that's what we're talking about here, but I don't want anyone to take that as like a, well, I can just like visit all the things that I want. And sure, you're free to do that. Absolutely. You do you. But I think it's really important that we don't think about church that way and think about it more of like, is this where I can meet needs and have my needs met? And in what way does that make sense so safety empathy those are all like should be Mm -hmm. base things that we all look for Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in our in our christian community context and not just being there in a community to be a consumer right that's the that's the good part of community is being able to care for others while they're caring for you and um Yeah. I think that that's even sometimes where we receive our most healing. Um, yeah, as far as like, you know, you are being, you're being loved as you're loving others and you're being cared for as you're caring for others. Sometimes like that healing is just an outpouring of the healing that you've already received. It's, um, just a beautiful, um, kind of like a give and take thing. It's just fluid in that sense. So I love that part of community. And that kind of brings us back to that untangling too, Kate, you know, some of the biggest issues on the forefront of my mind, probably every morning and likely every night (laughs) right now in the last year is this kind of, you know, 
toxic theology, how it's intersecting with racism, misogyny, abusive power, xenophobia, rape culture. You know, the church has long supported a culture of silence that, as you know, takes the side of the systems and that are perpetuating these issues, um, especially of sexual abuse. And, And I've been speaking about sexual abuse for 18 years. And I'll tell you, when I first started speaking out, it was the church that was afraid to have it talked about you know, as, and I see why now. Um, but to me, this is the untangling that many of us that you mentioned are really like neck deep in right now, which I think is mostly quite healthy, um, in some ways, but I'm wondering what you see as the answer here. Like, how do we do the untangling in a way that can bring about the change we hope to see? Yeah. It's hard because I think it's going to look different for everyone. Mm -hmm. I agree that I think untangling is healthy. I think when it comes to deconstruction, there are sort of three common responses, right? Um, When confronted with new information, that means you might have to ask some hard questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people will double down, right? We see this a lot across (laughs) the internet. Um, a lot of people are doubling down. They are choosing not to interact with the deep thing and instead, uh, criticize on a surface level, some things instead of actually understanding what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and therefore just sort of cling to what they think or have been raised to believe or whatever that looks like without a lot of critical, right. It's, it's sort of a, it's a fear response, right? We like certainty. And so we cling to it however we can. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's sort of the response. Then there's the other extreme, which you see a lot. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they say the word deconstruction, they actually mean demolition. Most of them are actually like blowing it up, which I get if I had been through some of the things that some of these folks have been through, I don't know that I would want any part of it either. I get it. Um, and so, you know, they blow it up and some of them decide to sift through the rubble from there to maybe like build it up again. Some of them are in a place where they're like, nope, that's just not going to happen. And some of them are like, that might happen, but maybe, but not right now. I'm just not a part of it anymore. Mm. Um, and then it's sort of like the untangling, the disentangling piece, which I think is which looks like a whole bunch of different ways and everyone's going to do it differently, but it's sort of the approach I took because, because my, and this is also because mine started from experiencing church and Christianity in other places and other contexts Mm -hmm. and just realizing how different, or at least how caught up the things that I would fight for the most were like, not even (laughs) the things that matter, right. They were sort of these like third tier issues okay. um, or preferential things, right? Mm, okay. Instead of really digging in. And so that did sort of lead me then to examine theology and things like that. But it first just was like, okay, I had to decide, do I still like Jesus? Like, is he still, am I still on board? So mm-hmm. that's where I started. I was like, do I still like Jesus? Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah. Do I still believe in God's vision for, you know, the world um, and eternity. And even that has tweaked a little bit for me and what that looks like, but yeah, I'm on board with that. So I think that's sort of where it starts as being like, what are we on board with? What yeah. do we want to stick with? Do we and really you believe say the it's gospel? okay to even just start with the whole Jesus idea and then like pause there because I can't go anywhere else? Yeah. Yet. I mean, yeah. if, if I were, 
I don't like giving a lot of advice about deconstruction because it looks different for every person. But if someone's questioning Christianity, I think you have to start. I think Mm -hmm. you almost have to start with Jesus and make up your mind about him, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you don't have, if you don't know, if you're on board with that, then you're definitely not going to be on board with the rest of it, right? Right. Right. And so if you start there, Mm -hmm. um, then you kind of know to what extent you even want to fight. Because some people start out here, And that's good. And that brings them back to the Jesus thing and then back out. Um, But I'm an efficiency person. I don't know. Like, (laughs) so I'm like, let's just go to the root of all of this, right? What's the root? Well, that makes sense. And and if I can't make up my mind about Jesus, yeah. That's what you do too. It's like an onion and you keep peeling back the layers to get to the center. And if you're looking at it as far as your healing journey and a faith journey, it's kind of similar where you're trying to get to the center. It's totally a healing journey too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just layers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you really have to, you know, make up your mind about Jesus, make up your mind about God's vision for the world. And if it's something that you feel compelled by or connected to, um, with the values of the kingdom, if you're on board with that and what it looks like, mm-hmm. um, with God's vision for the church, even if it's not what you are used to experiencing, are you on board at a high level? Um, and then really too, I think we have to talk about the real cost of discipleship in the real world. Like, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus and what might it cost me if I do this? Um, and I think those are sort of the starting place. You've got to wrestle with those big things because if you don't believe in the big picture, you're not going to fight on any macro or micro level. Right. And so, yeah, I think once you're clear on that, then you can actually, then you can start to remake or rebuild, um, into, you know, joyful practice of Christianity by, you know, adjusting things. Mm -hmm. Um, but being on that big picture is kind of, uh, is really the first step. I think for me, I always say that I left fundamentalism, but I didn't leave, but I still love orthodoxy. So I still love what God is about and what, you Mm -hmm. know, the story of scripture and where we're headed. And so, even though the way I fight or the way I participate in that may look different from what it did 10 years ago, yeah. it's still something that I'm, a, I'm, I believe in enough to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it brings me just back to what you had written about the untangling and if I could just kind of read that, is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Oh, so good. Kate, you said, I kept Jesus, but I went to the gospels to see him for myself. I kept church, but I stopped expecting it to have all the answers or to look a specific way. I kept my commitment to God, but I let go of my need for certainty and embraced more ambiguity and comfort with questions. I stopped boxing God in. I stopped boxing boxing Christianity and its expression in. I stopped idealizing an idea of community and embraced imperfect, not abusive humans loving and learning together. And I love you You even went further and you went hard. You said America, white evangelicalism, they fall short every time. Once I untangled them from my faith, I realized that Jesus is better. The church is deeper and wider. And this is the faith I find such joy in that I share it with others now. Uh, I just love that. Yeah. I wonder if we could just kind of close our conversation with what would you say to listeners who have been hurt by the church for whatever reason? Yeah. It wants nothing to do with it now. Would you just say, 
what you said, like go back to that first question of Jesus. Um, I mean, but also maybe what would you say to their hearts? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is I'm sorry. You know, yeah. that's not how it's supposed yeah. to be. That's not what God designed or had in mind for you or your life. And I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. Um, I can't imagine it, but I want to sit with you in it and, and let you know that there are people here who do care, do see you, um, and want you to be, uh, healthy and whole. I think that's important. That's God's vision for every human. And while we may not make it until eternity, um, our, our work as the church is to work towards the healing and wholeness of the world. Um, and that includes these people. And yeah, if you're wrestling with church hurt, I get it. Hmm. It's okay to leave a toxic environment. It's okay to not want to step back into a church building. Um, I would still recommend finding a community that is safe for you to worship. If that's what you choose to do, if not, yeah, I'd go back to those big questions that you can start asking and wrestling with. Um, but certainly that can be a way of healing. Um, but if you still love Jesus and you're just not crazy about his people, find some people that you do like and, and, you know, make that your church family for a while. Um, and let that be the fullest expression of church in your life in the way that you don't just worship together, but you live and care for one another, which is the other part. So I think it's, I think it's important that you do what's helpful that makes you whole and healed. Um, to the extent that you can be on planet earth, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. before, um, before the new heavens and the new earth arrive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's about, you know, you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be where you don't feel safe. The church is supposed to be a safe place. And so if you don't have that, um, you can make that for now until it's safe to go back. Mm. That feels really comforting. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, you're welcome. How can people connect with you? Tell us about your podcast so we can tune into yours. Yeah, my podcast is called Happy and Holy. Um, we are on hiatus at the moment, but we'll pick back up in May once once my semester is over and I can actually think about anything other than school. Well, um, listen to the archives though, because you've had some excellent guests. On. I have had very mm -hmm. good luck with... Um, people saying yes to yeah. this person who basically has <laughs> no podcast listeners, but they well, will come we, and they'll talk anyway. Oh God. Um, and so thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so yeah, you can find that on all your major podcast players, or you can head to my website, kateboyd.co and you can scroll through the archives. I've got a combination of, you know, just me talking and, um, a lot of interviews and then coming up on our next season, we're actually going to have some interviews, but it, it'll be me and like two other people per episode talking through a couple of chapters of scripture together, which is really fun. So it's like a community, like you get to listen in on a small group talking. Um, yeah. And then you can find me, you know, on Twitter at the Kate Boyd and on Instagram at kateboyd.co. Those are where I hang out the most. Perfect. Looking forward to continuing to see what you do, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked. Even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together.
You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.